Hello again, my dear friends. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with the Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you are well. Just a little bit under the weather this week, but that's not going to hold me back from giving you another great episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. And just, we're going to discuss this week for Parsha's Kisisa, a concept called Evil Eye. Have you ever heard of it? Ayin Hara. And other ideas as well, which can give us practical lessons in life. And as always, before I begin, if you have any questions, comments, would like to reach out, to say hello, introduce yourself, feel free. I love the feedback. My email address is rabbishlomokonwithak at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha, as I mentioned, is Parsha's Kisisa. Parsha's Kisisa deals with the giving of the machzis shekel, the half-shekel coin for the upkeep of the mish- mishkan, as well as the, the Torah tells us about the census of the Jewish people. It was used as a census to count how many Jewish people there were. The Parsha also discusses the building of the Mishkan, its service. And probably most famously, this week's Torah portion tells us of how the first tablets, the Luchos, were broken and the sin of the golden calf, as well as how Moshe Rabbeinu prays to Hashem, prays to God, and saves the Jewish people from annihilation. The Parsha concludes with, with Moshe bringing down the second luchos, the second set of tablets to the Jewish people. And the first idea which I want to get into today is the this idea of the machtis hashekel. And the, the psukim, the verses tell us how Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to make a census of the Jewish people to count them and each one of the Jewish people, anyone over 20, any male over 20, would be obligated to give a half shekel. And no matter how rich or poor you were, you had to give that same amount. No one could give more and no one could give less. And there's two main ideas which are expressed in the verses that really give us an idea of the significance behind the counting of the Jewish people, the machzah shekel. And just to really give a little bit of a background about this mitzvah that Hashem gives to Moshe Rabbeinu to, to do to the Jewish people, is that this parsha is, this mitzvah to be more exact, is really out of order because the parsha starts off with the mitzvah of the machzah shekel, a mitzvah of the half shekel coin. And only later in the parsha do we discuss the sin of the golden calf. And in reality, the sin of the golden calf really happened a few parshas ago already. And this is actually one of the examples in the Torah where it's not in chronological order, where the order of the story is out of order. And there's a discussion in the Talmud about when we are allowed to say things are out of order and when, when it's not in order and when it could, you know, how that works exactly. But at this point in time, the sin of the golden calf happened already and the commentaries discuss why it was listed out of order. But the two main points we see from the psukim regarding the machzah shekel as follows. If you read the, the verses in the parsha, the first few psukim, it, it says, Hashem, el Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Kisisa es rosh b'nei Yisrael, v'nosnu ish nafsho Hashem, sam, v'lo negev sam. 
When you take a census of the children of Israel, according to their numbers, every man shall give Hashem an atonement for his soul when counting them so that there will be no so that there will not be a plague among them when counting them. So as I mentioned, every male over 20 gave a half shekel coins towards the upkeep of the Mishkan. That the money that was being collected from this counting, from the census, would be used to, to make sure that the tabernacle, the Mishkan, would have all the funds it needed to operate properly. And the second idea which you see in the Psukim from the census is that this Machzis HaShekel represented... A, an atonement. It's some sort, some sort of kofar nafsho. It's some sort of a uh, repentance, an atonement for the person who gives it. And the first point I want to talk about today with you is if you look in Rashi, commentary on Chumash, he says, commenting on this mitzvah to give a half shekel, that velo negev, that there shouldn't be a plague among, among them. The Torah tells us that each person, each man over 20 should give a half shekel so that there should not be a plague. And Rashi explains, Shaminyan Shoilet Boy Ayin Hara. That counting brings on the Ayin Hara, the evil eye. Vahadever Baalem. And a plague could come upon the Jewish people, God forbid. Kamoshu Matzinu be made David as we see by King David. The King David, he made a mistake and he counted the Jewish people straight. You know, have you ever seen people count? They say not one, not two, not three. That comes from this idea, from this, from the verses that we see that how Hashem commanded Moshe Rabbeinu not to count the Jewish people directly, but rather to use coins as a means to count them, because he didn't want ayin hara, evil eye, to come upon the Jewish people. And really, the question that needs to be asked is, what is ayin hara? What is it? What is the evil eye? And many people, this is one of those things I'm sure you heard from your bubby, from your grandmother. You know, ayin hara, ayin hara. Maybe you've heard it and people are afraid to, to, to show their grandchildren or to show pictures of their grandchildren to people or to talk about their grandchildren or any example you could fill in the blanks. But really the question which I want to get to is what is this concept of ayin hara, evil eye? Is it this supernatural force that comes out of a person's eyes and it's like laser beams. You can look at somebody and something bad happens. What is it exactly? So there's different understandings as to what Ayin Hara is. And according to one opinion, the Chazanish, he says that it is some type of destructive force in nature which can be brought upon somebody else. But I don't want to focus on that answer right now. I really want to focus on another understanding of Ayin Hara. Rav Dessler explains that ayin hara is not this natural force how the chazan ish, ish understands it, but rather it works a little bit differently. You know, we all have different things that Hashem has destined for us, and hopefully we deserve it. That Hashem determines on Rosh Hashanah how much money we have, how many children we have, what our situations be, right? We say this in the davening, who will be raised up, who will be put down. All these things are determined on Rosh Hashanah from year to year. And the, the way Ayin Hara works, if we look at somebody else with a certain jealous eye, like we want that, we, we desire that. So then it sort of opens up the books in heaven again on that person. 
and sort of God looks at that individual who has that car or those things and says, does he really deserve that? Does he really deserve that money? Does he really deserve that car? So in essence, Ayin Hara is not this force in nature that you look at somebody and something a laser beam comes out and strikes them. It doesn't work like that. It's part of the mechanisms of the creation that when we look at somebody with a certain way, with a certain feeling of jealousy, that we want something, we, we're, we're jealous, we, we, we look at them with the evil eye, so it causes the books upstairs to be opened again, that they, to, they look through that person's file to see if they really deserve what they have. It's sort of like an audit. It causes a person to get that audit, right? We, we send in our taxes every year, and God willing, they, it should go smoothly, and we shouldn't have a problem. We shouldn't get any issue with IRS. We should hopefully get a refund even. That'll be our lucky day. But sometimes, you know, people get audited, and it can even be through in the middle of the year. It could be after tax season. They want to look at it again. So when we look at people with a jealous eye and, and wanting what they have, so then we can cause a person to get audited by God. Now, I want to clarify one piece because you might say to yourself, oh, I can't go outside. If someone's going to look at me, someone's going to do this to me, they're just going to look at me with that evil eye, that eye and and then I'm going to be under audit again. I don't think how it works like that because a person is allowed to live their life normally within the, the bounds of what's expected of them in society. So if a person, it's normal for somebody to drive a regular car, then it's fine. You can't get the ayin hara on it. But if it's normal for someone to so, show a picture of their grandchildren, that's that's not ayin hara, right? When what causes ayin hara, what causes evil eye, is when a person doesn't have the sensitivity that's needed towards another person. When they flaunt that wealth in a way that makes people want to look at them. When they flaunt the the pictures of their grandchildren to somebody who doesn't have any grandchildren. That's an example of where somebody could, God forbid, be affected by the evil eye. But to live our lives as normal people, to do what's normal, what's normal in society, what people do with each other, what within the norms of how people act, that does not fall, I believe, into this category of ayin hara. Obviously, we should always ourselves try to look at people with a good eye, and, and we should never want to put ourselves in the face of others, especially those who don't have all the goodness and blessing that we have. It's something that we should be sensitive to and not, you know, and just to be cognizant of when we go throughout our lives and everything we do. Focusing in on the second reason for the machzah shekel that we see in the psukim about this kaifer nafsha, that it was an atonement. The commentaries tell us that after the Jewish people sinned, by the golden calf, Hashem wanted to take stock of his precious possession, the Jewish people. That just like a shepherd who after the flock gets attacked has to recount to check his possession. So so to Hashem wanted to recount again his people, his treasured possession, the Jewish people, to see who's there. Now, obviously, the first question you ask to this is that why does God need to do this whole procedure of counting? You know, he knows how many people there are. Why does he have to go through the half a coin and counting? And what's the significance behind it? And there's different significances that we can get into, how everyone giving the same amount of money signifies a certain national unity, and everyone has, you know, striving towards the same mission and the same goal. But there's another answer that really 
uh, brings out this idea of repentance as well and the significance of the Machzah Shekel to this idea of Teshuva. And the Midrashim tell us that after the Chet Egel, after the sin of the golden calf, the nations of the world jeered at the Jewish people. They laughed at us and they said, after 40 days from receiving the Torah, hearing God's voice directly, all the Jewish people, men, women, and children, the Jewish people stoop and fall to a sin of the golden calf and they, they laughed at the Jewish people, right? They made such a big mistake how much they had fallen from their level of hearing the word of Hashem directly to this point where they were all worshiping a golden calf. It was idolatry. How could this have happened? And they laughed at the Jewish people how they made this mistake. And the significance of the Machzah Shekel represented that even after the sin of the golden calf, Hashem showed the Jewish people, obviously there was tshuva, there was, re- there was returning, but He showed the Jewish people and in turn the nations of the world that Hashem had forgiven them and began the process of teshuva because they said Hashem will never forgive you. That so soon after he do, here, getting the Torah, you sin like this, you fall so far, Hashem will never forgive you. And the message of the Machzah Shekel was showing the Jewish people that even after all that, even after everything, Hashem could still forgive the Jewish people. And if you look in the wording of the verse, it says something very interesting which alludes to this idea. Because the Pasuk says, Kisisa es Rosh B'nei Israel. That's the name of the Parshish, Kisisa. And literally, it means, right, when you take accounting of the heads of the Jewish people, but it could also mean when you raise up, Kisisa es Rosh B'nei Israel, when you raise up the heads of the Jewish people, that Hashem was, so to say, was raising them up from their, from their sin. And through the Machza Shekel, he was bringing them back up to their original state of glory. And that's um, something we should keep in mind, that no matter where we are or where we fall from or whatever happens, we, all have that, we always have that ability to get back up and to, to go even higher than we were before. There's this concept of Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vikam, that a righteous person falls seven times and gets up. And, and some commentaries understand that to mean that in order to be righteous, you need to fall. That that's how Hashem made the world. That's how God made the world. That person falls. But the point is, do you get back up afterwards? Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vikam, that a Tzadik falls seven times and he gets back up. That in order to become a Tzadik, you need to fall and then get back up. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. You know, do we still get back up after we get na- knocked down. And there's a famous song, you know, the fighter still remains. Are, do we still remain? No matter what happens, we got to keep trying. Hashem knows we are human beings. We are flesh and blood. Obviously, we shouldn't, you know, use as, as, as an excuse, but we are, you know, we're human beings. But the question is, do we get back up? Another point of the Parsha, which I want to talk about today, is the Chet Ha'egel, which is really probably the most famous part of the Parsha, and Moshe Rabbeinu, he goes up to Shamayim to receive the luchos and bring it back to the Jewish people, the tablets. He was going to come back 40 days later. The problem is that the Jewish people, when they expected him to return, they miscalculated when he was to come back down from heaven to bring the luchos. And when he didn't return, the Jewish people started to become nervous and anxious. And it's brought down in the commentary that the, the Satan, the, the Malchamaves, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, showed the Jewish people a vision of Moshe Rabbeinu dead, laying in a deathbed in heaven. And once that was shown to them, this initial, I guess, reaction of anxiety and, and nervousness and panic, 
ensued in the Jewish people, a, a segment of the population was able to sort of take control and hijack, hijack the situation to their own being. And they said to Aaron Cohen, who was the de facto second in command, to Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, we need a new intermediary. Moshe Rabbeinu is not here anymore. Who's going to be our intermediary to serve as the go-between between us and Hashem? We need something. And they didn't necessarily have an intention to serve an idol. That wasn't what they wanted to do. And if you look in the verses, it, it brings, it backs up this, this idea that the Jewish people, when they, when they got this thought in their mind to have some type of golden calf, they weren't doing it to, to, um, to serve it. They did it to, to actually have this intermediary. And that's actually, if you look into the history of the uh, Avodah Zarah, and the Gemara talks about it as well, and when people in general, when, when it started off, people started serving idols by the times, uh, you know, by Avram Avinu even, people started serving it because they, 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 they said to themselves, we need to have an intermediary to serve God. But it, it slowly evolved into a situation where people started serving the idols. And here too as well, the Bnei Israel, the Jewish people, when it came to this, the situation where Moshe Rabbeinu did not return, they said, we need something. We need a intermediary, something to someone to something to be on our behalf, to pray for us that we should have this relationship with Hashem. And Aaron Cohen, in an effort to delay the Jewish people from making this grave mistake, tells them, quickly go get the gold from everybody and from your wives, from your daughters, and bring them to me. Soon enough, they were brought so fast that it was already almost too late to stop the situation in movement. And the, the, the people came and threw this gold into the fire and a golden calf came out. And the, and the Jewish people, a segment of the population, started to serve and worship this golden calf. Now, the, the question really remains is, how could the Jewish people, so you know, close to receiving the Torah, sin in such a way like this? To fall from you know, hearing the voice of Hashem at Har Sinai to being such a level where they received prophecy you know, through everything they experienced of going out of Egypt and getting the mun and, and the plagues, everything. How could it be that this generation fell to a point where they went to serving a golden calf? And the first thing we have to know before we get into an understanding over here is that the, this generation, the generation of the Midbar, the generation of people who went out of Mitzrayim, went out of Egypt and lived in the desert for 40 years were a a generation where a group of people who had tremendous faith and were on a tremendously high level. And the, the Talmud attests to this and the different commentaries attest to the great level of, of you know, service of Hashem. But the, the commentaries discuss, as, you know, what exactly happened. And there was, you know, it wasn't the whole Jewish people, but the Jewish people as a whole were held liable for what happened. But it seems that the Erev Rav, these rabble rousers within Jewish people, got the people riled up, and they made this mistake. And the one of the answers which I saw, which helps us understand where they went wrong, and it really is a lesson for us as well, is that the Jewish people coming out of Mitzrayim, they were a, a, a young nation, a new nation, and they had Moshe Rabbeinu was leading them. Until this point in time, everything that had happened was through Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe, Moses led them out of Mitzrayim. And even before that, the 10 plagues happened. Moshe was a, a, a messenger for that. He, he, he helped 
make that he was a shliach of God. He was a messenger of God to to make the plagues happen. And when they came out of Egypt, the Red Sea, Moshe led them out. And in the desert, when they had a problem, who they come to? They didn't have food. They didn't have water. They came to Moshe. He was always the person in the middle who helped solve the situation. So the people assumed that in order to have the relationship with Hashem, in order to have the relationship with God, they needed to have intermediary. They needed to have a middleman. They didn't realize that they themselves were capable of having that personal relationship with Hashem. That no matter who they were, they were, right? No matter if they were a simple person, a regular person, they could have that relationship. They're able to daven to God. They're able to pray to Hashem for what they needed, for their problems, for to solve their situations. And that's where they made the mistake. After Moshe Rabbeinu had passed, they thought, we need someone new. We need something. We need something. And from that, that seed, that mistake, it mushroomed into the sin of the golden calf, which was idol worship. And the really the, the message for us is that we have to realize ourselves as well that sure, you know, it's always great to have people that could advocate for us. You know, people go to blessings to great rabbis and they go to tzaddikim, the, the grave sites of, of righteous individuals. But we never pray to those individuals. We, we're always asking them to be a, a emissary for us. Um, and same thing for a blessing from a righteous person. We ask that they should be a emissary, to be an emissary, God willing, that their word should be helped, you know, it's more accepted by God. But we should know ourselves that we have the ability as, as Jews to be our own intermediary, to be our own best advocate. And many times it's those pure prayers from the deepest parts of our heart that are the most effective for the things that we, we want to accomplish in our lives that we are calling out to Hashem for. And we shouldn't make light of our own prayers and our own significance. And that's something which is one of the most powerful lessons of the Chet HaEgel, that the Jewish people didn't realize this point that they didn't need Moshe Rabbeinu to have that relationship with Hashem. Each and every one of us can have a unique relationship with Hashem. And obviously there's certain aspects of it where we pray three times a day. We have the morning prayer, Shacharis, Mincha, Mayrev, morning prayer, afternoon prayer, night prayer. And there's also another part of it of speaking to God in our own words, to know, to have that relationship like a friend. You know, it might seem awkward at first, but it's something that you get used to and it's a healthy thing to do. And that's one powerful lesson which I want to take out from the Chet Egel, the sin of the golden calf, and from this week's Parsha. So with that, I'm going to finish for this week's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out and say hello, please feel free to email me at rabbishlomakom with a K at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.